Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness community recently joined forces with Gilda's Club to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, which is being brought to you by uh, Azi, Morphotech, Genentech, and Celgene, we're going to talk about colorectal cancer. March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and to kick off the month, we've invited three guests who are here with us today to discuss a cancer that will bring about over 150,000 new cases this year alone. I'm here today with Cindy Robinson, a colorectal cancer survivor, advocate, and spokesperson for Fight Colorectal Cancer, formerly Colorectal Cancer Coalition, or C3. Uh, C3 now Fight Colorectal Cancer is a valued partner, longstanding partner of the cancer support community, and we're so pleased to have you here today, Cindy. Thank you for having me. We also have Carolyn Grandy, an oncology nurse practitioner, educator, and consultant specializing in gastrointestinal medical oncology. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Carolyn has over 20 years of nursing experience in a variety of oncology settings. Currently, Carolyn serves as a nurse practitioner at the Abramson Cancer Center at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, my hometown. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you. And finally, we're joined by Ellen Levine, a clinical social worker with over 20 years of experience in the oncology field. Currently, Ellen serves as the Director of Programs at the Wellness Community of Central New Jersey and affiliate of our Cancer Support Community. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you, Kim. Nice to be here. We've really got a lot to cover on the show today, so we're going to jump right in um, and get started. I'm going to start with you, Cindy. Um, Tell us about when you were diagnosed with stage 3 colorectal cancer, when that happened, how, uh, how they found your uh, cancer, and a little bit about what that journey was like for you. Well, I was 46, and I felt like I was a very healthy, uh, vibrant, um, active uh, young woman and uh, would, was having some what we now know were classic telltale signs of colorectal cancer. I'd had some on-again, off-again rectal bleeding, some dizziness, and had gone to the doctor he treated me for anemia uh, with some B12 and um, sent me on my way. 
Um, it wasn't until two years later uh, in a regular um, gynecological exam that my doctor could feel the tumors. Mm-hmm. Um, he then sent me to um, the gastroenterologist for colonoscopy. Um, in fact, wouldn't let me leave his office until we had spoken to that um, other doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next two weeks were kind of a blur. Um, they were uh, constantly being uh, at a doctor's office, having a test. Um, and actually, when I was diagnosed, I was waking well, when I was told, I was waking up from my anesthesia, from my colonoscopy, and I could hear the nurses saying, oh, what a shame. That's so sad. Um, and then I was crying and looked up and saw my doctor standing there, and he said, I'm so sorry to tell you this. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, if you were my sister, I would send you to this doctor here. And that's that was something I used throughout my treatment, um, was asking the doctors, but if I were your sister, what would you do? What well, what would you tell me different, or where would you send me? Um, and that started my um, my colorectal cancer journey. And when was that, Cindy? That was in 2007. 2007. And so once they made the diagnosis, what was your course of treatment? Um, what, did you have surgery? Did you have treatment? Um, and how did, you, how did you manage your treatment for colorectal cancer? Well, I definitely let my doctors know right away that we were going to take care of this, that we were aggressive. Um, I, won, I wanted the gold, the, the gold standard treatment, the, the best they had to offer. Um, unfortunately, with stage 3, there wasn't a lot of different options that they could make me aware of. And so we started with the six weeks of daily radiation and um, daily oral chemotherapy. And it was during that part of my treatment plan that I realized I was fixing to have to face the biggest fight of my life. And I went to a local gym and, um, and said, you've got to get me in the best shape you can because I'm fixing to go for a real fight. And I then had um, very extensive surgery uh, to rearrange some things and um, a hysterectomy. And then I spent the next six months doing um, chemotherapy, a three-day infusion every 10 days for six months. Okay. So let me go to Carolyn and let's get a little context um, for, for some of this that you, that, that you have gone through. Um, Carolyn, tell us, diagnosed with colorectal cancer, different stages, so tell us a minute about some of the st- yeah, stages of disease, and then what are, some, what are the common treatments for, for colorectal cancer so we can uh, be educating our listeners on this. So the staging for colorectal cancer goes from stage 1 to stage 4, um, and the staging guidelines have actually changed more recently. Um, however, the mainstay um, of treatment for colorectal cancer are surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation therapy. Um, some patients, depending on the location of their cancer, may receive what's called neoadjuvant therapy, meaning before surgery, they may get treatment with chemotherapy or chemotherapy plus radiation, um, followed by surgery, and then as, as um, Cindy has described, um, receive adjuvant therapy, adjuvant meaning in addition to um, chemotherapy following their surgery. Okay. Okay, so we're still looking at that surgery, chemotherapy, radiation. So what are some of the side effects that folks experience from colorectal cancer treatment and how can that impact somebody's quality of life? Right. So, you know, surgery can forever change the way someone's GI tract functions um, in terms of frequency um, and consistency of stool. Um, However, um, one of the myths that go along with um, surgery for colorectal cancer patients is that all patients get colostomies, and we know that that's not true. 
Some do because of the location of their tumor, um, and that can certainly impact the quality of life. But of those people who do get a colostomy, oftentimes um, they can be reversed, again, depending on the location and the rationale for its placement in the beginning. Um, so in regard to the chemotherapy treatments for patients, there's a, ri- a variety of new agents um, over the last 10 years um, yeah. that have come into the armamentarium um, to treat colorectal cancer patients. Some of them are chemotherapy agents like oxaliplatin, uh, ironotecan, and 5-FU or 5-fluorouracil. Mm-hmm. There's an oral agent, which Cindy referred to, called Zolota or Capecitabine. And there are three biologic agents that are also used in the treatment of colon cancer, um, which are bevacizumab, cetuximab, and panitumumab. And they okay, all- Carolyn, hang on there. You just you gave us a mouthful there. So just tell us, tell us what biologic agents are, um, just so our, our, our folks understand what that means. Is that, are there, these biologic agents are not chemotherapies. They're different from that traditional treatment? That's that's correct. And uh, in, with the biologic agents, they actually target certain pathways um, that are molecularly focused, if you will, in the tumor cell um, to help prevent the growth of, of um, the tumor or the spread of tumor. Um, so they're very, very targeted in terms of what they, they focus on in the system, um, and, and these agents are given intravenously. So their their targeted therapies are going going at the cancer in a whole different way than those traditional chemotherapy agents that go through the kind of the whole system. So does that mean we're seeing fewer side effects from some of these new agents? Not necessarily, but we're seeing a different set of side effects. Different so sets. they okay. don't mimic what you see with chemotherapy, although some can. Um, yeah. One of the side effects that you know we can see with um, chemotherapy is neuropathy can be seen with oxaliplatin, um, and that can certainly impact patients' quality of life. Yes, um, that, that was something I had a very difficult time with, mm-hmm. the neuropathy, to the point that um, the numbness and pain in my feet and my hands um, caused me to trip and stumble, fall downstairs, mm-hmm. um, and that can, that can be very debilitating and take a long time to come back after treatment has even ended. Yeah, and could lead to some other other kinds of accidents and things like that, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, boy, oh, boy. It certainly yeah. can, and for those who aren't familiar with the term neuropathy, that can just mean a numbness or a okay. tingling in the fingers um, mm-hmm. or the toes or the balls of the feet. Um, and it can present itself in different ways in different patients. Some patients describe it as a sensation of electric shock mm-hmm. um, that can sometimes go up their legs um, mm-hmm. or go up their forearms if they have mm-hmm. it in their hands. So, um, you know, as Cindy has identified, you know, we research has shown us that those side effects can leave within about a, a, up to a year following completion of treatment, um, and it can happen at any point during that year period, okay. um, uh, you know, where it will progressively lessen, if you will, um, following completion of treatment. Okay. All right. So let's get so we're we've got a couple minutes until we go to our first break here, but let's pull Ellen into this conversation. We're getting our, our heads around some of the medical aspects of a diagnosis of colorectal cancer. But tell us, Ellen, you're doing a lot of counseling work, support groups with people with cancer. Tell us how a colorectal cancer diagnosis can affect someone psychologically, socially, emotionally. Tell us about that impact. Sure. Sure. Well, certainly, uh, colorectal cancer, like all cancers is uh, is a very powerful uh, has a very powerful impact on individuals. Just the word cancer alone, it is uh, very toxic in itself and can uh, be very frightening to people. 
Um, and there's a wide range of emotions that typically people will experience from sadness to anger to feeling very isolated and alone and why me, fear of death, fear of the, the disease returning, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to more severe reactions of depression or anxiety. So many, many emotions. Um, and, and socially, um, you know, this is, uh, I, I see it like a stone dropped in a pond with the ripples. So the ripples affect everyone around the patient, uh, the friends, the family, the children, who are all also having their own sets of emotions. Um, so I always counsel individuals when they're first diagnosed to, to allow themselves a little bit of time just to uh, absorb and begin, just begin to integrate that diagnosis and so they can begin to find the words to talk about it and to begin to even uh, articulate what it is they need and want. And certainly with colorectal cancer, there is, a, as you said earlier, you know, the connotation that uh, everyone who has colorectal cancer is going to have an ostomy, and, uh, but in fact it's, it's awkward. It can be embarrassing to talk yeah. about it because people uh, don't want to talk about those parts of the body and what goes on down there. Um, so that adds, I think, to the, um, to the adjustment uh, for the, um, the person who's diagnosed. For this diagnosis, yeah, yeah, nobody likes to talk about anything below the belt. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. March is National Colorectal Cancer uh, Awareness Month. Today we are talking about colorectal cancer. We're talking about uh, diagnosis, screening, treatment, the psychological and social and emotional issues that come along uh, with a colorectal cancer diagnosis. We're also going to talk in a little bit about how you can get involved and be an advocate. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. We will be right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, 
Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and to kick off the month, we're dedicating today's show to discussing a cancer that is the third most commonly diagnosed cancer among men and women combined. I'm here with Cindy Robinson, a stage 3 colorectal cancer survivor and an advocate, Carolyn Grandy, an oncology nurse practitioner, and Ellen Levine, director of programs at the Cancer Support Community Affiliate, the Wellness Community of Central New Jersey. Um, I want to take a moment to mention the exciting advocacy work Cindy and Carolyn um, are involved in in Washington, D.C. this month. They were recently here just a few days ago uh, on the Hill for a, uh, a campaign uh, fight colorectal cancers, call on Congress uh, campaign. So um, let me start with you, Cindy. What is the purpose of the call on Congress campaign, and what did you guys do um, when you were just recently here in Washington? Well, we always like to put a face on colorectal cancer to our legislators, and um, we knock on their doors, and we, uh, we thank them, first of all, for their help always, and we always ask them for help in increasing the funding for research and prevention of colorectal cancer. And telling them our personal stories really makes an impact. I do believe that. It helps them put a reminder that these these kinds of things are affecting real people. And I think it helps, uh, I know it helps me as a cancer survivor to um, feel like I, I, I went through all of this for a reason and I can make a difference. Let's make a difference so it doesn't happen to somebody else. And that's why we ask for, always ask for more research and uh, funding. So you come to Congress, you come onto the Hill, you share your story, yep. you thank them for what they've done, and you ask them to do a little bit more. That's right. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds fair. That sounds like a good approach. That sounds like a good approach. Um, Carolyn, is there, um, in, in some of that, that activity and some of those conversations, is there, is there talk about screening? Um, let's talk for a few minutes um, about screening. So first of all, how are people screened for colorectal cancer? How are they diagnosed and screened? What are some of the signs of colorectal cancer? And, and um, you know, why is screening important? What do we need to do to advance the screening conversation? Right. So, you know, screening for colorectal cancer is critical because colorectal cancer is preventable um, through this uh, modality by removing precancerous lesions before they have the opportunity to develop into an invasive cancer. Um, so for the general population, screening is advised starting at age 50. Um, for patients who, or for the population at, at greater risk, Screening may start at earlier periods in time. Um, so who's at greater risk? Uh, those at greater risk are people who have a personal history of adenomas or polyps, um, a personal history of CRC or colorectal cancer or inflammatory bowel disease or positive family histories for colorectal cancer. Um, also at a higher risk than that would be people who have a history of a Lynch syndrome or history of polyposis syndromes which are genetic um, um, inherited syndromes uh, that can place patients at higher risk for colorectal cancer. And, and that, that would be me. The, the Lynch syndrome, I carry a gene for that. Um, my one and only sibling was diagnosed with colorectal cancer a month after I was and died a year later. Um, did, you, did you know that when you, when you were diagnosed, Cindy? That my bro- oh, I did not know that I had Lynch syndrome when I was diagnosed. We didn't okay. test. There, would be, there, wouldn't, there wasn't a reason to test me. My father had had a brief bout with colon cancer years ago, and back then there just wasn't the information that we know now. But we know now, and we can make changes. Um, my children, I have four. They can be tested for the Lynch syndrome. One of them was tested. He tested negative. 
my brother's two children were tested, and they both tested positive. It just mm-hmm. means then that they need to be screened more, more frequently and at an earlier age. They're in their 20s. They can start their screening now. But had you had a colonoscopy before the age of 46? No. 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 And, you know, Carolyn, you know, you're, we're hearing about, about that more and more. I mean, I know that the, you know, kind of approved age or the recommended age for the population is 50, but, boy, i got to tell you, we're hearing more and more about people diagnosed with cancer with no known risk factors under the age of 50. What, what do you say to that, Carolyn? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, in my practice in colorectal cancer, I certainly saw a lot of patients under the age of 50. Um, and, you know, it, it's really critical for all of us to be attuned to any subtle changes in our body, in our personal habits, um, in our bowel function, um, different sensations in our abdomen, you know, if there's, you know, dull, aching pain on the right or the left side, any change um, in, the, in the stool size or change in bowel patterns, um, any bleeding from the rectum. You know, oftentimes people can easily just um, take that for granted and say, oh, I have hemorrhoids, you know, that's where the bleeding's coming from, or I had, you know, red tomato sauce with dinner last night, maybe that's why my, you know, I'm having some, you know, red drainage after bowel movements. And, and the point, in fact, is, is that, you know, these are some of the symptoms that should be investigated um, sooner rather than later below the age of 50, um, as well as those age 50 and older. Okay. All right. So let's get back to the screening. So, so a regular healthy population, age 50, some of those higher-risk categories uh, or earlier, depending upon your situation. And the screening is standard screening, Carolyn, is a colonoscopy? Um, standard screening is a colonoscopy. There are other options for colorectal cancer screening as well. One is fecal occult blood testing, which can detect blood loss in the stool. That, as a standalone, isn't recommended, but it, it, it can be part of the, the screening program for patients. Um, there's also a, a new way of detecting stool DNA, um, looking at, you know, a full bowel movement actually would get examined for abnormal sections of DNA, and that's just, you know, coming into, into to view. We don't really know a lot about the intervals and how best to use this test. Sigmoidoscopy um, has been a, um, another approach. Um, the downside of a sigmoidoscopy is, is that it only, um, you know, can view the lower part of the colon, and a sigmoidoscopy is when just a flexible tube is placed um, into the rectum and can visualize just the lower part of the colon, mm-hmm. whereas the colonoscopy um, is the insertion of a flexible tube that can view the full length of the colon. So, you know, you wouldn't want a patient to go for one breast mammogram or a chest x-ray of one lung if they had both lungs, right? So you yeah. want that full colon to be, to be visualized. And the colonoscopy is the gold standard for that. Why is it the gold standard? Because if something abnormal is found, it can be biopsied or even removed through the colonoscope. Again, you want to catch those polyps early before they have the opportunity um, to become an invasive cancer. Got it, got it. So, so, Cindy, you were pretty young when you were diagnosed, and you, you know, obviously were diagnosed at, at, at stage three. So how long did your, did your treatment go on? What were, you know, what were some of the side effects? How did that treatment, uh, you know, affect your, your, um, your, your quality of life? 
Well, I felt like I was pretty healthy before I was diagnosed and could run up flights of stairs and swam and was very active, um, have a, a cleaning business and didn't have any issues. But once I was in treatment, um, I had to continue working and um, the fatigue is uh, is just amazing because mm-hmm. you can uh, sit there on the edge of the bed and see the bathrooms only five feet away and you're like, I just, I can't get that far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was really mm-hmm. hard. The other thing that was really difficult for me was the chemo brain. Mm-hmm. And that is that is a real thing. The fogginess, the the memory loss. That was very difficult for me. And when I finished my treatment um, from diagnosis to end was about a year um, when I had my ileostomy um, uh, reversed. Mm-hmm. I decided, what do you do when you when you hurt a leg or an arm? Is you do physical therapy. Well, what do you do for your brain? So I went back to school. Mm-hmm. And I went back mm-hmm. to school. I graduated summa cum laude with a paralegal degree. Wow! At a Congratulations! Local and and that was how I combated that. Uh, some of the other um, uh, issues that I had were greatly helped with acupuncture. Um, that was very helpful for fatigue. Um, and actually, getting involved with a group like Fight CRC um, yeah. and advocating is is amazing. How um, beneficial that is. So, Ellen, what, what kinds of programs are you offering there to help folks with the uh, quality of life issues, with coping and helping them get connected to others who are also facing a cancer diagnosis? Sure. Well, we, we have uh, three prongs to our programs. One prong is uh, education. The second are stress management or sometimes called mind-body programs. And the third are support groups. Uh, very briefly, you know, the education, we bring in experts on uh, a wide variety of topics, from medical topics to uh, more complementary medicine and other types of approaches to helping people manage their uh, their cancer experience. So we mm-hmm. bring in... Uh, we would bring in an oncology nurse like Carolyn, or we would bring in a doctor, nutritionist, uh, genetic counselor, social worker, all on a variety of topics to um, to help people feel that they are getting uh, additional education to um, to be more uh, empowered to go through their experience. Um, and then some of the complementary therapies, we would yes. bring in people to perhaps talk about acupuncture and its benefit, or talk about. Uh, um, insurance issues or employment issues, so all the range of things that uh, the topics that um, that cancer can impact. Uh, stress management programs, the second prong, um, are really about helping people learn some a variety of strategies to help them cope with the with the stress and just the emotional challenges of going through the cancer experience. So it can be. Uh, the, the types of things we offer are uh, many different kinds of relaxation techniques and breathing and imagery to gentle exercise, tai chi, yoga. They all sound, um, you know, a little bit overwhelming sometimes to people, and it's not yeah. that they have to do every one of them, but we right. encourage people to pick and choose things that they resonate towards and that they think they might enjoy. And then, of course, the support groups, which I can talk about a little bit further later, but uh, that is by far the, 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 the sort of the cornerstone of what we do because it, it involves bringing people together so they feel less isolated and more hopeful and, um, and can learn from one another um, and can learn ways to, to be able to uh, cope and communicate with their loved ones, with their health care team, uh, and just provide a safe place, emotionally safe place, to be able to talk about some of the, the, uh, 
the emotions that may be uh, difficult to be able mm-hmm. to talk about with their with their family and friends. With their family, great, great. So we are going to dig into uh, to that a little bit more. In fact, Ellen, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I do want to talk about family and friends a little bit and the impact of cancer on those loved ones and caregivers. Um, March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Um, it's a it's a cancer that we need to learn more about. We need to talk more about. Um, we need to put it out on the table, and that's what we're doing today. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices, I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This is Kim Tibaldo with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Just before the break, uh, we were hearing from Ellen Levine, who is a clinical social worker and uh, the program director at our wellness community of Central New Jersey, an affiliate of the Cancer Support Community. We were talking about the impact of a diagnosis of colorectal cancer on the patient, on uh, quality of life, on coping issues. Um, uh, I just want to dive in for a minute, Ellen, to how a cancer diagnosis affects uh, the family and friends, a person's relationship with their family and friends, and, and, and what are some of the things that we can do to make sure that our loved ones um, are also being taken care of and, and, and addressing their needs and fears and just really pra- some practical issues that they face when a loved one, a family member, is diagnosed with cancer. Sure, sure. Well, without a doubt, a diagnosis of colorectal cancer will um, certainly change the way a patient, an individual, relates to their loved ones and the way they relate back to them. So, um, so there are many changes. Some can be quite positive in terms of appreciating one another and, you know, uh, that, that, uh, that moment of uh, the cancer diagnosis really changing one's outlook and approach to one's life. 
but can have negative implications as well in terms of uh, touching off people's fears and worries and their past experiences with someone who's had cancer. So um, it, loved ones can feel very frightened and overwhelmed, and, um, and it's important that, um, that the individual who has cancer is able to um, learn to be able to talk about what they're going through, and if it's too difficult to do that initially with their, with their close family and friends, they may need to seek some professional help to be able to learn ways to get through this and have a, a place that they can be able to talk about this. Um, the kinds of, uh, the kinds of uh, things that might be helpful, just practically speaking, uh, might be just to begin to identify ways that all those people around the patient are, are wanting to, you know, to let me know how I can help, what can I do, and whether it be providing rides for their kids or uh, bringing in meals, you know, the very basic kinds of things, accompanying someone to a treatment, just being able to have, have company and not have to talk about uh, the cancer. But, uh, you know, initially that may be difficult because um, many people, everyone reacts from their own experience and point of view, and it's frightening to hear about cancer, and people naturally reflect back on themselves and, oh, this might happen to me, and it's a little scary sometimes for people to talk about that. So that's where um, coming to a support group can be so helpful because, yeah. as I said earlier, it, it, it can be that emotionally safe place where people can, can really air some of the things that may be a little bit too hard to talk about with their loved ones where they may learn ways to be able to come back home and then talk about them further. Yeah, and I just want to emphasize, Ellen, for, the, for, for our listeners that at, at, at the Cancer Support Community, all, all of our 50 affiliates around the country, that we not only provide programs for the patients, the survivors, but also for the family members yes. and loved ones, and, yes. and um, that all of our programs are open and available, and we have uh, support groups that are specific uh, to the caregivers um, and, and separate from, uh, from the patient groups, which I think is important. Um, I also want to just let, let our listeners know, a lot of folks are saying, well, where can we get some information, resources um, about how to deal with the colorectal cancer diagnosis, and we're excited this week to, to um, be launching at the Cancer Support Community in, in partnership with Fight Colorectal Cancer. Cancer, the third edition of our, uh, of our booklet, Frankly Speaking About Cancer, um, Colorectal Cancer. It's an educational booklet that addresses the latest treatments for colorectal cancer, strategies for living a healthy life um, with the disease, um, coping skills, and we just want to let folks know today you can order a free copy uh, of the book by visiting our Cancer Support Community website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. You can order those right online. The booklets are free, um, so shoot your order into us, and we're happy to get, uh, get that booklet out to you right away. Uh, it's a great new updated uh, resource on, on dealing with the diagnosis of, of, uh, of colorectal cancer. Um, Cindy, I want to ask you about your approach um, in working with your healthcare team. Um, did you seek a second opinion? Were you happy with your healthcare team? Did you have a, a way that you kind of set up that uh, that communication? Tell us about that, because I know that all, in and of itself can be overwhelming. Just interacting with the with the medical team. Right. Well, in the, in the first physician that um, did the colonoscopy, the initial diagnosis, was a male, and and he said, you know, we have a lot of great physicians here, right in the area here, that can take care of you. He said, but you're a woman, and if you were my sister, I would send you to this female physician. Mm-hmm. And I thought mm-hmm. that. That was wonderful that he um, looked at me that way, and I was so appreciative of that. And then, again, like I said earlier, each physician, I asked them, you know, what would you tell your sister? Where would you send your mom? What would you tell your daughter? Um, and, and they would stop and think about that. Um, and I think it brought out a little bit more of their humanistic side there in yeah. dealing with me as a patient, yeah. remembering yeah. that I'm not just that folder in front of them. 
Um, and um, seeking a second opinion and talking to the other doctors I do think is important. Uh, if you're not comfortable with what your doctor's telling you, if you think there's yeah. something else out there, by all means, go, go seek an, uh, a second opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know that, Cindy, you, you've talked a little bit about how the, you know, this experience has led you to be very empowered and really kind of go after some information. And so what, what does that mean to you, the idea of patient empowerment? And, and uh, I also want to know about your little black book. Okay. Well, <laughs> I found out that you, there's no one out there that cares as much about you as you. Mm-hmm. And you have to be your own best advocate. And if something hurts, if something's not comfortable, if you don't like the way something's going, you can say something. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be your own best advocate. You have to find the treatment that works best for you. But my little black book was something that I'm not sure where I read it, but somehow when I first was diagnosed, um, I got this idea to carry a little book. It's very small, about, about the size of an index card, and it has all my doctor's cards in it. It has all the information. Any kind of time I was anywhere and had a question, I would write it down so that I wouldn't forget to ask the doctor that question because all the questions don't happen when you're sitting in the doctor's yes, office. Yes, that's right. And so that little black book, it also, I also kept records of some of my experiences when I was in treatment, if, um, mm. certain things that helped during chemotherapy, certain things I should stay away from, don't forget to do this. Because um, I just found there's so much to remember, um, and and you do forget. So the little black book, and I also kept a lot of inspiring words. When I would get discouraged, I would I had inspiring things that I'd put in there to remind me to to hang on, to reach deep, and find the strength to get through this. Mm, that's I think great advice. Great advice, um, Carolyn. From the from your perspective, healthcare as a healthcare provider, um, how is being a proactive patient and being empowered important to um, ensuring that you get the best uh, you know best care possible? I'm sure you see all kinds of patients with different personalities come through your 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 practice there. Um, you know, do you see folks who are really stepping up as advocates for their own care? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Patients that can come in with their family members and have a stack of printouts that they've gotten from the computer and and want to go through each of them at their appointment to see what the best options are for them um, is here to stay, I think. Um, And I really would want to just preface this by saying that, you know, cancer takes a lot from the person who is diagnosed as well as their loved ones. And being proactive allows the patient to take an active role in their treatment plan. Um, there, uh, as I've mentioned, there's a lot of information through the virtual communities that are available mm-hmm. um, and through the media. And what is critical is finding a reputable source. Mm-hmm. And also with that, being able to interpret that information correctly. I can't tell you how often patients have come in with their loved ones with printouts about things that aren't even about a colorectal cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, so really uh, one of the cautionary notes that we've had, that I've had in practice with patients is, okay, now you've printed this out and it looks like the cure for cancer. What kind of website did this come from? Mm-hmm. Is this FDA approved? Were there clinical trials that supported it? Yeah. So it's very interesting um, to see the things that are out there and the things that really spark the interest of patients. It is amazing to me the amount of information, though, that the general lay population can gather and understand about medicine and about cancer because it's a whole new language. And, 
you know, patients and their families get up to speed quickly and become very active in their treatment planning. Yeah. Well, I can, you know, I can certainly uh, tell folks to rest assured that the information in our materials and booklets has been vetted by, you know, top medical professionals around the country, and so we just want folks to know that we take that responsibility at the cancer support community very seriously and getting, you know, top-notch information to folks um, uh, about all this because there is so much much misinformation out there. Um, uh, Ellen, do you, uh, do, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think that there's a right approach to dealing with cancer, and I'm sure, again, you probably see so many different personalities and different approaches. Um, but tell us about you talk, tell us about the idea of patient empowerment and how that comes up in your support groups and how people find their own way to kind of face this diagnosis. Sure, sure. Well, I want to piggyback on something that Carolyn said when she talked about the value of patients taking an active role. Mm-hmm. And I would use another way of describing that to say it helps them to feel a little bit more in control mm-hmm. in a period of their life when they uh, feel mm-hmm. totally out of control. And um, so that may that may involve just what uh, what Cindy was saying about the um, about the little black book, but it's about uh, being able to um, educate yourself. It's about um, learning ways to uh, to manage stress. It's about uh, being able to um, find new ways to communicate with with the people who are important to you. So anything, uh, even changing um, changing habits, you know, whether it be exercise or nutrition. Yeah. Uh, not to say that any of these things are about cure, but these are about quality of life and these are about people feeling uh, more in control. And when I look at my own unscientific study and look at the kind of people who come to, uh, to our facility for our programs, uh, they are, by and large, they are very much a group of fairly proactive people mm-hmm. who have, uh, you know, from whatever way they got to us, they're wanting to take some steps to feel that they can do something um, to influence um, not necessarily outcome, that may be part of yes. their hope, but certainly yes. to influence the course of their experience. Um, so, and I, and I do want to make one comment about that in terms of uh, how, how often the outside world, the feedback that people get is that they need to, you know, just be positive and just, you know, keep up that, that positive mm-hmm. outcome. Um, and and I think that that's uh, that that's a little bit of a slippery slope, and that yes. um, and and again, it's hard for for people who haven't been through this to understand. But that 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 um, that perception that somehow if you stay positive, uh, you're going to influence the outcome. But I would yeah. sure stay positive as much as one is able to to right. uh, be able to weather the experience. Um, and there's but that point. idea that that idea that everything's going to be all right is not mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. the way to to uh, well to help. Mm-hmm. Right, and you want to you want to know that it's okay to say, you know what, yeah. this doesn't yeah. feel good. I don't right. like this. I don't want right. to be here. Right, exactly. But it's, right. but it's yeah. okay to say that, and you need to have a safe place to do right. that. Safe place right. to do that. Right. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and we've been having a great discussion uh, with Cindy Robinson, a stage 3 colorectal cancer survivor and advocate, Carolyn Grandy, an oncology nurse practitioner, and Ellen Levine, program director of our wellness community of central New Jersey and affiliate of the cancer support community. We've got 50 centers around the country, and Ellen is at our center there in central New Jersey. We've been talking about colorectal cancer, the second leading cause of death of all cancers. Um, I want to just talk for another minute with uh, Cindy and Carolyn about the amazing advocacy work that you're doing this month, March, Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, I know that you are both uh, involved in Fight Colorectal Cancer's call on Congress. You were here in D.C. just a a few short days ago, Um, uh, you know, and I really, I congratulate you guys. Uh, for that uh, for that tremendous work, um, Carolyn. Let's talk for just a minute about what's on the horizon. What kind of new research is being done to treat colorectal cancer? What can we expect to see coming down the pipeline? Because I know part of what uh, you all continue to advocate on the Hill is additional funding and uh, uh, and dollars uh, for research so we can advance the the, the screening and, and the treatment of this cancer. Absolutely. You know, I, I just want to say, you know, personalized medicine is the buzzword these days in the oncology right. world, you know. Yep. So research is really looking more closely at, you know, prognostic and predictive biomarkers. And what does that mean? Prognostic biomarkers um, tell us, you know, estimate the chance of cure or the probability of recurrence of disease. And a predictive biomarker can help determine the likelihood of whether a person will respond to a specific treatment. So there's a lot of research going on now looking at patient's individual tumor, looking at what inherent markers, genes, proteins are within the tumor itself that can lead physicians to know what prognostically that means for them and and what are the best treatments to offer them. I had mentioned earlier um, in the segment that we've made a lot of great strides in colorectal cancer treatment. And having had that plethora of new agents to use to treat the disease come in such a a wisp of time over the last 10 years, um, we're still looking at how to best use those drugs, how to best combine those drugs, when to sequence them to get the best impact um, and the best outcome for patients, 
with the least toxicities. So a lot of research is around that. And I often remind people, we wouldn't have had all these new agents to treat colorectal cancer if Mm -hmm. patients didn't agree to be in clinical trials. They're critical to advancing medicine. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a a good piece of information. And I know, Carolyn, that a lot of folks um, have, you know, concerns or a lot of myths out there about clinical trials. And, um, you know, we we certainly, we we, we see here that once folks really are educated about clinical trials and understand them, they have a whole new, uh, you know, willingness to look at, uh, to look at trials. And uh, they are, uh, in most cases, they're not going to get a placebo in a cancer treatment trial, and they're probably going to get the standard of care or the standard of care plus. And so, um, you know, we certainly encourage folks to ask whether there might be a trial that's right for me um, and and just really explore that question before you make a treatment decision. Um, We are getting, unfortunately, towards the end of our show. This has really been a um, a terrific discussion. Um, But before we leave one another, ladies, I'd love to ask each of you, starting with the uh, starting with you, Ellen, um, I want to ask each of you what your advice is for someone just diagnosed um, with uh, with colorectal cancer. I want to start with with you, Ellen, who you've worked for so many years with uh, with patients there in Central New Jersey as a social worker, and um, uh, I know you have a lot of folks walking through the door there, pretty overwhelmed um, with a cancer diagnosis. And, and you know, what advice would you give folks listening today? Someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer, someone in their family has just been diagnosed with cancer. What do we tell them? I would say uh, be be gentle and kind with yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. Allow the range of emotions that you're going to go through. Um, over time, try to find your voice. Some of the things we talked about, to be able to advocate for yourself and be able to find ways to manage the experience. Uh, stay informed. But stay informed in a thoughtful way that's going to work for you. If, if going online and absorbing just an enormous wealth of information is more than you can manage, then just use others as that resource. Use your doctor or use uh, a close friend who can do that research for you. But do stay informed. Stay connected. Stay connected to others who have had colorectal cancer. Uh, Certainly try to stay connected with your loved ones and and let them know how you're doing. And then ultimately, uh, you know, we haven't talked about that uh, expression, the new normal, but uh, even when people finish their treatment and um, are at that point that they've been looking forward to for such a long time, Recognize that uh, more than likely your life will be different, and that's when we talk about a new normal. And so through survivorship into the years, hopefully decades ahead, to be able to uh, continue to find opportunities uh, when, when necessary to connect with others and recognize that this is an experience that you know, may have changed you profoundly, both positive, positively and, and other ways. And just quickly, Ellen, let me ask you, I'm, uh, I have a friend, I have a loved one who's been diagnosed with colorectal cancer. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And so what we hear a lot is, um, so I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything because I'm really afraid of saying the wrong thing um, to this, to this person. And, oh, yeah, just ask them. What are you, yeah. you know, and try not to, try to overcome those, those, those knee-jerk reactions of, Oh, I'll just wait till they come to me, or I'm afraid to right. talk about it. Ask them because you know a lot of times that that silence can be just deafening to people. They need to know that you're there, and then and then they'll tell you. So uh, you know, I've heard folks say you, with cancer who said, you know, just just exactly, exactly as you're saying, Ellen. Just just tell me, tell me you want to help me, but you don't know what to do or you don't know what to say. It's okay. We're all going to figure it out together. But you're right, folks. I, a lot of folks have said, you know, they oftentimes when they're diagnosed with cancer, they've been surprised. 
at who reaches out and may be more surprised at who doesn't. Yes. That's right. I had a, I had a patient who I cleaned their home um, while I was in treatment, but mm-hmm. yet once a month they delivered carrot ginger soup to my door that um, was enough to freeze for a month to assist me uh, during my treatment. Mm-hmm. So, Carolyn, someone's just been diagnosed. What, what's your advice to them? Um, generally, I, I start with patients and their families and say, I'd like you to, to dispel any thoughts, stories, images, or experiences you've had from, with cancer from your mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I often tell them, if you are not an information gatherer, appoint someone in the family who is. Um, get the information that's out there about treatment and places and uh, centers of excellence to get treated in, um, and share it with your healthcare team. And mm-hmm. ask mm-hmm. your healthcare team questions. Do not be intimidated. There is only one you, and there's only one life to be led. And you mm-hmm. are entitled um, to be informed about the de- the decisions um, and make the decisions based on, you know, good solid information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Good advice. Good. Good information. Uh, Cindy, I'm going to wrap up with you. Um, you've obviously been through this. <laughs> yeah, don't be a passenger. Uh, you're, yourself. So uh, what would you tell folks listening today? Yeah, don't be a passenger. Um, you're on this ride. You didn't ask to get on the ride, but you're on it. Um, and find out the information. Find the best doctor that you can find, someone you're comfortable with, someone that doesn't rush you, allows you mm-hmm. to take mm-hmm. as much time as possible to ask all the questions. Um don't be afraid to ask for help uh, from your family or friends for support, whatever little thing it might be, mm-hmm. um, and to get involved with a group, not, sometimes not just one group, but there, yeah. there are so many different kinds of groups that, um, as Ellen was saying, that reach out in different ways. Um, I had friends that had a, a nature-type uh, reserve that I could go and, and just uh, relax at. That was so helpful to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Groups that involve um, the arts, um, music, um, the Christopher Life uh, organization here, and um, they, they offer a different kind of outreach. Becoming an advocate, encouraging mm-hmm. others. This, this colorectal cancer can be prevented. Are Get you screened. Cindy, are you, um, are you in treatment now? Are you I am not. Feeling I am well, not currently you... in treatment. I am I'm feeling well. Things are good now, um, and I hope it stays that way. Absolutely. So what are they doing to, to follow you and monitor you? Right. They monitor me with frequent screenings, um, blood, you know, those kinds of tests, blood tests, exams, uh, colonoscopies frequently, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I'm just monitored very carefully, and I appreciate um, the great care I've gotten from my physicians. And are you doing things now, or do you see things differently than before you were diagnosed with Absolutely. cancer? Absolutely. Trying new things. Absolutely. I got my motorcycle license last year, <laughs> and this it. year I, I plan to jump out of a plane. All right, girl. <laughs> Go. So you, I, you just have to get on with life and live. Good for you. Good for you. I think that's great advice for people listening today. So, you know, we want folks to know you do not have to face cancer alone. Uh, there are many ways to get connected, so we encourage folks to get screened. We encourage folks, to, if they are diagnosed, to uh, make sure they do become their own best advocate to fight for good care, for good information. Uh, go, go, go for that second opinion. Ask if there might be a clinical trial for you. Um, I, just a lot of ways to approach this disease, but we do know, 
you know, as Ellen was saying, look, this can be a very isolating experience, and you don't have to face the disease alone. You can talk. I mean, I'd love to, you know, go for a motorcycle ride with Cindy now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to face this disease alone, and that uh, we hear that all the time, Cindy, from folks with cancer, that it just, it opens up new doors. It's a club that you don't want to belong to. You wish you were never given a membership, (laughs) but, um, you know, that you look for the positive side, and you look for ways for this experience to open up new doors and and, uh, take a different approach. So I thank all of you for being here today. It's just been a wonderful show, wonderful conversation. Uh, again, we're pleased with, at the cancer support community in partnership with Fight Colorectal Cancer to announce the launch of, uh, frankly speaking about cancer, uh, colorectal cancer, an educational booklet with information for patients and families, uh, tools to become empowered as you navigate a colorectal cancer diagnosis. If you want to order your free copy of, frankly speaking about cancer, um, colorectal cancer, call us at 888-793-9355 or go to cancer support community.org. Um, I want to dedicate today's show to uh, everyone affected by colorectal cancer, especially those um, who've been up on the Hill this month, National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, uh, fighting for change, fighting for better care and treatment for people with colorectal cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.